guys. How you doing? Hello. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, like Cody said, we are picking back up. We started again last week in 2 Timothy, uh, where we left off from the summer. And last week we started in chapter 3. And you can go ahead and get started flipping there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But um, this book of 2 Timothy, this is, this is Timothy's mail that we're reading, remember? And it's like the last letter that Paul wrote as, as his last words. Um, so there's much that we can apply uh, from our lives, and so we thought it, it fitting to, to finish this book out um, that we started in the summer. And so um, this is our second week, picking back up in through it. And so I'll, I'll remind you what we saw last week, last week in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so in the last days, we're going to have perilous times. We introduced that last week. But why are the times going to be so perilous? And one of the main reasons is because there's going to be perilous people. And we looked at those people last, last week and how terrible um, they're characterized. And I mean, as we grow closer and closer to the rapture and, and to the end, the times and the people, they're only going to look more and more like what we saw last week. So our lives are going to get hard. They're going to get harder and harder. Um, because those people are going to make it hard. And so tonight, we're going to talk about endurance in the last days. And I think God's trying to get our attention tonight, because if you were here on Sunday, uh, we actually talked a little bit about endurance then as well. And we know that, that God repeats things that he thinks are important, right? And man, that was, that was really encouraging to me. It was awesome uh, what we covered on Sunday, and so I'm, I'm excited to kind of continue the subject today. But uh, man, I don't think it's just happenstance that we happen to be talking about it back-to-back. Back. Um, I think God's wanting to communicate something to us tonight. And, I mean, especially with the subject of endurance and, and hardness, um, in 2 Timothy 2.3, you know, Paul wrote, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Man, we're going to have to endure hardness. And Paul admonishes Timothy, and you're going to have to endure hardness as a soldier. And so the days in which we live look more and more like the end times, and they're going to be filled with perilous people. So we're going to have to endure hardness. Um, so, and, and even, even with hardness because of what's coming our way, but man, as we talked about on Sunday, just following the Lord is, is going to have, require hardness in our lives. Um, that's how the Lord grows us and how we walk with him. So if you're in uh, 2 Timothy 3, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13 tonight. So let's take a look at those. Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us tonight. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. Um, thank you for um, dying on the cross for us, um, to bring us to you, um, to reconcile us back to you. We're so grateful for that, and we know we're so undeserving of that, and um, and you've given us of your spirit, um, and, and of course, you rose again three days victorious, victoriously, and 
and defeated death and hell. And Lord, that is our hope. We have a sure hope um, unto the end, knowing um, what awaits us on the other side of this life. And Lord, it's because of that that we can endure here now. And I just pray that you would help us to maintain our sight on you um, as we live this life here. And I pray that as we open your book together tonight, that uh, you would be our teacher, that, that we would be ready to hear these words, that we would be ready to be obedient and apply them to our lives. And we just want you to get the glory through all that happens in our lives and in this place tonight. In your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to look at a few practical takeaways from this passage tonight that we can apply to our lives to help us learn to endure hardness. And so a, a couple things about how to endure. Point number one is going to be, you, you'll have to withstand propaganda if you want to endure. Looking at the first two verses again from our passage. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So these perilous people that we talked about last week, they're labeled as resistors of the truth. And we see that they're compared to two guys here in our passage tonight. By name, they're Janus and Jambres. And these, this, these, uh, this is interesting, but if you look up their names and, and try to find them in the Bible, they're not there. Um, but there's enough context clues to figure out who they are. Uh, they're mentioned as resisting Moses. And so it's, it's pretty easy to narrow it down. Janus and Jambres, they were the, magi- the, the magicians or the sorcerers, the wise men of Egypt. And they were the guys that had the enchantments um, before Pharaoh that withstood Moses. That, um, it was through their enchantments that they allowed people the mental confidence to resist the authority and truth of God. Look with me in Exodus 7, 10 through 11. Um, so when Moses and Aaron are in the court before Pharaoh and they proclaim God's message to him, um, this is what, what we see in verse 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called also the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. So Moses and Aaron go unto Pharaoh and deliver the message, and Aaron throws down his rod before Pharaoh, and it becomes a serpent, it becomes a snake. And it's a miracle, and to show that indeed, the words that they have, the message that they have, it is from God. But the sorcerers also, they do in like manner with their enchantments in an effort to counterfeit and invalidate God's word and authority. And uh, I put it on your sheet, we don't need to look at it necessarily, but in Exodus 7 22, they do a similar thing uh, where they uh, sort of mimic or reproduce the miracle of turning the, the water to blood. And, and they do that in order to discredit the message And as a result of their work, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. People's hearts are hardened. And so these guys resist the truth, in a sense, by explaining it away. They're eliminating the need for any authority. And the result is that people are turned away from God and the truth of his word. This is propaganda, if you will. And, And from what we saw last week, that's how perilous people operate in the way that these guys do. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, we saw that they have a form of godliness, yet they deny the power thereof. That's how these guys operate. Uh, they, want the, they want the authority of God, but they deny him. And they deny the power. And we need to turn away from such people. If we want to endure, we can't do what they do. We have to withstand their propaganda. 
We can't resist the truth. And so from verse 8 in our passage, notice that these guys, they resist the truth. And notice what they are. They're men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. In contrast to the people we saw in chapter 2, the people that are being described here, they're not saved. They're reprobate in terms of the faith. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? If we don't have Christ in us, we're not saved. You could also, maybe you're thinking of Romans 8, 9, you could look there. And if we're not saved, man, we're reprobates concerning the faith. And before we, we continue this thought, I want to clarify that in terms of saying that we have to endure tonight, uh, in the way that we're talking, we're, I'm not talking about having to endure in order to obtain or to keep your salvation. No, our salvation isn't by any means of works that we do or even that we don't do. It's strictly about what Christ has done, right? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're not talking about enduring tonight, uh, such as to not be in the faith, but we're talking about enduring to remain faithful to it. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But with that being said, if you want to endure, if you want to be faithful, you certainly do have to be in the faith first, right? You do have to be saved. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to get that nailed down first. You need to get it nailed down tonight. That's why the Lord brought you here. Please don't resist the truth of the gospel about how God came to this planet as a man named Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice and payment for your sin that separated you from him. And three days later, he rose from the grave, victorious over sin, death, and hell. And he offers you spiritual life with him for all of eternity. Man, that is incredible. That's amazing. And the first thing you need to do is you need to not resist that truth. But for those of us that are saved, is there any disobedience in our lives where we're resisting the truth? Are we obeying God's word? Or have we let the propaganda creep into our minds and persuade us not to? Persuade us that, uh, that sin is better. Um, persuade us that judgment isn't going to come. Uh, persuade us whatever, whatever it is, whatever road that, that the devil takes you down to lead you into sin. I mean, don't let that happen. Don't give in to that propaganda. Where do you need to realign yourself to God's word tonight? We know that there will be consequences for resisting the truth. We will all be judged one day at the judgment seat of Christ for how faithful, faithfully we have endured in this life. Judgment is coming, so don't resist the truth. Look back again at verse 9. It says, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, all men as theirs also was, as theirs, as Janus's and Jambres's also was, thinking back to them. Man, first of all, I mean, can you imagine that first scene before Pharaoh? Uh, I mean, Pharaoh is the king. He's the dude in charge. You'd watch your tongue around Pharaoh and... Moses and Aaron charge on in there, I mean, like the Lord asked them to, and they throw their rod on the ground after they speak some pretty crazy words to him. Uh, I mean, Pharaoh is, is the god of that world, right? And, and they're coming up against him saying, let my people go. They're not your people, they're mine, saith the Lord, the real God. And they throw down their rod, 
and a miracle happens. It becomes a serpent. What a sight to behold. And, but Pharaoh, he calls his magicians over, and they bring their rods, and they do the same thing. That would have been crazy to see, and suddenly, I mean, the, if there were bystanders, they'd have been like, oh boy, like, this is, this is interesting. Uh, we, we got, like, a reaction and a, and a counteraction. But wh- how does that end? Who wins that battle? Aaron's serpent, only one, swallows up all of their serpents, right? And those, those magicians should have known right then that their enchantments would end in bitter defeat for them and that their propaganda was going to lead to judgment. And so it's not long before they can't keep up. God upped the game until they couldn't mimic it anymore and Satan couldn't mimic it anymore. And no one had any more excuses except their own pride and love of pleasure. And in one example at Exodus 8.18, about the plague of lice. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth life, lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Or with the plague of the boils, in Exodus 9.11, And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And so when it comes down, at that point, I mean, they're, not, they're out of the game. They're, they're too busy being affected by what's going on to, to try and resist. And eventually, you know the story, it leads to severe judgment, beginning with the death of the firstborn and ending with the death of Pharaoh and all his servants in the Red Sea. And the children of Israel, after that, and they're, of course, they're rejoicing. And, and they, there's a song, the song of Moses in Exodus 15 about that. Look at what they say. It says, In the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. The children of Israel were pretty familiar with stubble. Um, stubble was the thing that, that they had to collect to make their bricks in their labor in Egypt. And the Lord consumed the Egyptians like stubble. How ironic. And his judgment is fierce. And unfortunately, it will end similarly for those reprobate people in our passage tonight. In Malachi 4.1, says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And, that, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. There's a day coming when God will judge the reprobate world because they gave in to the propaganda and resisted the truth of God and his word. Judgment will come for all that resist the truth and reprobate, and that are reprobate concerning the faith. And so don't let that be you if you're not saved. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, it's a long passage, but and I, I, think, I think you'll see the context that we're going through, going for. Hang with me. We're going to read from 18 to the end of the chapter. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, the wise men, magicians, right? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, 
and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Uh, The Egyptians had all their creature gods, right? That's not their search for God. That was their rejection of him. Uh, Wherefore God also, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever, amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Man, doesn't that sound like the times in which we live? Have you ever seen the History Channel where they'd rather ascribe history to aliens rather than give God the credit for history? Or the Discovery Channel where they'd rather worship the creature and evolution rather than ascribe to a creator? Have you ever watched the news for like five minutes? Or even like cartoons for that matter? To see that all society is given over to reprobate minds and promotion of homosexuality? And you know what? We we absolutely cannot do in reference to any of that, right? We cannot make a judgment about anything. You definitely can't call out sin for what it is. Oh, and we're not going to read there, but I mean, if you were to glance at the first verse of the second chapter of Romans, that's exactly what it talks about. It's judgment. You can't make this stuff up. Do you see the propaganda? Our society is godless, and not because people are ignorant of the truth, but because they've rejected it so that they can live in their own pride and pleasure. And all of this is leading to the perilous times and people that we talked about last week. So if you want to endure first, then don't resist the truth. We have to accept the truth of the gospel first, and then after that, man, we have to accept the truth and absolute authority of God's word in every area of our lives. And we have to know for sure that judgment is coming for those that do resist the truth. Everyone's folly that resists the truth shall be made manifest. But in order to endure and withstand the propaganda of this world, not only should you accept the truth, but also should you uphold the faith In all of these examples with the Egyptians and their propaganda and their rejection of the truth, how did Moses and Aaron respond? Did they dispute and argue with Pharaoh and his servants? Did they collect all their swords and spears or the bricks that they made and fight against them? Or did they simply have faith in what God said and just uphold it? They endured the propaganda and simply stood in the faith, held true to God's word and what he said. They withstood and allowed God to do the work. They were obedient to God and allowed him to do the correcting. And that's what we need to do. We need to simply stand firm in the truth, obey God, and let his work in our lives do the talking. Don't hear me wrong. Moses and Aaron did not hide God's message. They did not sugarcoat it. They did not, certainly did not compromise with it. 
They just gave it and continually gave it and continually gave it and they affirmed it and they and and let's they let the truth play out as a testimony against the propaganda. Every single word that they spake came true and they were obedient to it. And there was a very distinct difference between those that upheld it and those that did not. In in the plagues in Exodus nine twenty six, notice only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were was there no hail. When the hail came down, you knew where the propaganda was. In Exodus 10:23, they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. When it was dark, we talked about, in the last series, we talked about shining. You could see who was shining in the plague of darkness, those that upheld the truth. The Israelites simply upheld the faith and the truth was very clear from their testimony. Any doubt that anybody would have had would have been wiped away and very clearly set straight. The testimony of upholding the faith sets the propaganda straight. And I already mentioned God's judgment on the Egyptians earlier through the death and through the firstborn, or the death of the firstborn and through the collapse of the Red Sea on them. And but, but how did the nation of Israel get out of Egypt and they were born as a nation? I mean, they didn't have to lift a finger against the Egyptians. They simply upheld God's word and his work in their lives got them out. And that was a testimony that spread out among the nations. You could see that in Exodus 15, 14 through 16. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestinia. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold on them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine army, they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. And similarly, if we want to withstand propaganda, we need to simply uphold the faith and let the testimony of God's work in our lives do the rest. I mean, think back to the characteristics of the people we saw from Romans and think back to the perilous people we saw last week. There's no arguing them into the truth. We've already established that those people don't want to see the truth. From evolution to the woke agenda, the only thing that no one can argue is your testimony. Your salvation testimony, but also the testimony of God's continued work in your life as you're obedient to him, as you uphold the faith. So withstand propaganda by upholding the faith and sharing your testimony and pray for the results that Peter talked about. In 1 Peter 2.15, he says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance, ignorance of foolish men. Maybe God will use your obedience to silence some of the propaganda of the day. Maybe the people in your life that are deceived by it can see the truth through your life. In verse 13 of our passage, Paul tells Timothy, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the direction that the world's heading. Perilous times are coming, filled with perilous people. It's prophesied. You can't change it. It's going to happen. But that doesn't mean you have to be deceived by the propaganda of our day. You can endure if you don't resist the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, and you uphold the faith. And through the testimony of God's working in your life, you can be used of God to encourage others. That's the goal. Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy, was certainly an encouragement among dark times, right? His testimony of endurance has certainly been used by God throughout the whole church age. I mean, we're reading his letters. So let's switch gears a little bit and look at Paul's testimony in the next couple of verses in our passage. And that brings us to our next point. We need to endure by suffering persecution. 
Verses 10 through 12 of 2 Timothy 3 say, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As Paul's son in the faith, one of his key disciples, Timothy knew Paul's testimony. He knew what Paul believed, what he taught, what he stood for, certainly what he stood through. Paul was a godly man and he suffered persecution. But before we can get into the persecution part, we first have to meet the qualification that Paul gives us in verse 12 for persecution. And that's that we must live godly. If we want to endure, we've got to be living godly lives. So do that. Live a godly life. But what does that mean exactly? Well, God is God. And something that is godly is something that is like God. So do you live a godly life? Or to say that to live a godly life is to live a life that is like God would live, right? And so how would God live? Well, exactly how he did when he walked this planet as a man named Jesus Christ. That's a godly live. So live like Christ. Since last Tuesday, how can you compare your life to Christ's? Have you invested in godly things and spiritual things? Have you lived righteously? How much time have you spent in prayer, in discipleship, in fellowship with the Father? How about evangelism? Have you been in fellowship with his people and worship to him? How much time have you spent in the word? If we want to live a godly life, we've got to be godly. We've got to be like God. That also means you have to have godliness. And that's something we've talked about before. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we can see the definition of godliness. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Godliness is God in flesh. So, applying that to us being godly, is God in absolute control of your flesh and, and of your body? Is he in your flesh? I'm talking about surrender to him. That's godliness, not simply doing the right things, but being the right things. And so the question is then how? How do we get to this point? Well, Paul continues in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 4 to explain how to get to this point. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, he says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself, rather, unto godliness. Notice, exercise thyself unto godliness. Godliness is the result of spiritual exercise. It's spiritual fitness. Verse 8, for bodily exercise, there's the physical part, it profiteth little. Physical exercise does have a little bit of profit. You know that works, right? Go on, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The godliness that you obtain from this spiritual exercise is profitable now and in the next life. Verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This principle of spiritual exercise, it's a faithful saying. You can take it to the bank. You can trust it. Everyone should understand and accept this principle. Verse 10, for therefore, so because we know and accept this principle of spiritual exercise, for therefore, he's about to tell you what to do because you understand the principle. Here's how you perform this spiritual exercise. Are you ready? 
Verse 10, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Did you catch that? The recipe for godliness is laboring and suffering reproach. And do you know what? It's the same recipe as physical exercise except with the spiritual work instead of physical work. We won't go there. I, I put the reference on your sheet. But if you're familiar with the process of spiritual maturity from 2 Peter 1, then this makes so much sense. From 2 Peter 1, 5-7, we learn of seven things that we need to add to our faith in order to grow to spiritual maturity. And godliness is in that list. It's the fifth thing that needs to be added. It starts with faith, and then you add virtue, and then knowledge, and then temperance, and then patience, and it produces godliness. And at that point in the list, since godliness is spiritual fitness— since it's God manifest in your flesh, at that point, God's done working on you and can now work in and through you to proceed on to brotherly kindness and charity. And the, pr- the principle of physical fitness is clear. You believe that the principle works, that's faith. So you act on that, that's virtue. To correctly labor, that's, that's knowledge and temperance. Laboring is temperance, but you gotta do it right. If you know anything about lifting weights, if you just go out there and try to lift a tank, uh, you're not going to be lifting very long. You've got to do it correctly, so knowledge and temperance, and you keep doing that again and again and again over time, and each time you get sore and you endure pain and it hurts, each time you're breaking down your body, but you just keep doing it and you patiently endure that, and the result is fitness. It's physical fitness. It's godliness. So you have faith that if you correctly labor and suffer in spiritual things over time, it will produce godliness in you. And you can live a godly life where you can endure and be used of the Lord. Paul certainly did that. Look at all the labor that he made in spiritual things from verse 10 in our passage. And he lived a godly life that promoted the power of God, a threat to those that put forth the propaganda, the propaganda of having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So persecution then surely follows, like he explains in verse 11. But after this godly life is nailed down, what Timothy needed to know And what we need to know is what Paul tells him in verse 12 of our passage. It's not just Paul that will suffer persecution, but all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Timothy expected Paul to be persecuted. We expect Paul to be persecuted. Paul's always persecuted when you read about him. But Timothy needed to expect himself to be persecuted. And so also should we expect that of ourselves This world hates us, and no one that lives a godly life will be exempt from it. The devil is trying to deceive with his propaganda, and anyone that reveals the truth is going to be a target. And so part of endurance is understanding the challenges that the race is going to consist of. So if we want to endure, we should expect persecution. So don't stop when it comes or when when times get hard. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning a fiery trial, trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. We shouldn't be caught off guard when when we have trials in our lives. If we live right, we should be expecting them. So just let them be a confirmation to you that you are living right and that you're on track. So brothers and sisters, press on. Don't quit. Endure. When persecutions come, rejoice like Peter and the other apostles could in Acts 5, 40 and 41. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, suffer shame for his name. 
And I get it. In the context of the time and place that we live, persecution might look, look a little different for us than it did for them and that it does even in other countries. For now. Verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Things could change for us someday. But for, for now, just because we're not getting physically beat and thrown into jail does not mean verse 12 isn't true. We should still be suffering persecution if we're living godly, even though it might look a little different. If we're living like Christ and they persecuted him, then persecution is sure to come our way. Not only does Paul say it, but Jesus himself says it in John 15, 20, and he's the master, right? We're not greater than him. And if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. So where is the persecution in your life? And I, I don't mean hard times simply because we live in a sinful world. And I certainly don't mean hard times because you're dealing with the consequences of your own sin. I mean, when's the last time you suffered as a Christian? If we don't have a persecution problem in our lives, then I can tell you what we do have a problem with, and that's living a godly life. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel, and let's get out there and share it. And when you do, you can expect some resistance. But that is to be expected. Don't let it slow you down. God can take care of you. If God can take care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field, don't you think he can take care of you? We need to have faith if we're going to endure in this life. God delivered Paul from his persecution. Notice the end of verse 11. It says, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. We're reading some of Paul's last words in this book. And at this point in his life, God had delivered him out of a lot of hard times, a lot of persecution. Uh, he, he had been around the block a time or two. Paul knew that God was going to take care of him until his time was up. He had faith. And we need to trust that God can do the same with us. And ironically, Paul says this in verse 11 when he's about to be executed for his faith next in his life. And yet, Paul had a greater perspective than simply wanting deliverance in this life. 2 Timothy 4.18, he said, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul wasn't free from every evil work until he was dead. And yet, he accounts it as deliverance and has faith that God can safely preserve his journey from this life to the next. Peter says a similar thing in 1 Peter 4.19. He says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So in the midst of our suffering in this life, we need to keep the end in sight if we're going to endure. If if we, we need to have faith if we're going to endure. We need to have faith that God can deliver us physically from any trial, tribulation, affliction, suffering, or persecution that we're in here on this planet. And we need to have faith that if he chooses not to, ultimately we have a much greater deliverance awaiting us on the other side. And especially, especially if we get there because of our suffering for Christ now. Peter says, a few verses earlier in 1 Peter 4 and verse 13, he says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Think about any time that the Lord has delivered you from uh, anything in this life, like danger or something that, man, almost you almost got hit by a car or whatever. Something could have gone really bad and it didn't. And it's like, man, you, you stop and you're like, man, what a... What a relief. Think about the joy that you had in that moment and the gladness that you had. 
Well, man, there's nothing in comparison to the gladness and the joy that we'll have on the other side of the suffering of this life. The only thing we need to worry about in this life now is if we're enduring faithfully by investing in spiritual things. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Have faith, guys. All of the sowing to the Spirit that we do in this life will be worth it if we endure. There are rewards waiting for us if we endure faithfully. Do you believe that tonight? God is going to come through. This life is the temporary one. Don't give in to the devil's propaganda that this life is the permanent one and you got to get out of it what you can now. No, no, no. This life is the temporary one. We got to remember that. So invest what you can while you can. So does the Spirit while there's still time. We know we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is a vapor. I know we operate like tomorrow is sure, but we know it's not, and I can tell you this for sure, there will come a day in your life where today is your last day. You won't get a tomorrow. There will come a day for you where there will be no tomorrow. That is certain. We just don't know what day it is. But someday, one of your todays in the future will be your last. Either Christ is going to come back and take you home with all of us, or he's going to take you home individually. And you're going to die. But it'll be over just like that. I mean, seriously, think about that. If you're a Christian here tonight, everything bad that you know in this life, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the loss, immediately over. Just like that, that quickly. Right now, suffering, persecution. Now it's over. It's going to happen that quickly. When we die, it's called sleeping. Man, when you go to sleep, did the hours just drag out or is it? And you're awake and it's over. Man, it's, it's going to be so quick. Let that be encouraging. Live a godly life. Suffer persecution and look for that moment. Allow that faith to help you endure today. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As bad as suffering can get in this life, it's not even worthy to be compared to the level of glory that we're going to get on the other side. So endure. It may not even be long till it's over. So by way of conclusion, I'll leave you with 1 John two seventeen. Says, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All of the propaganda and persecution of this world is going to pass away. But we won't. And the rewards that you earn through your endurance in this life won't. So you got to endure now. And it will be so worth it in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we, we come before you and, and we're humbled by your word. And uh, man, we, we just acknowledge that sometimes we just don't see the end. We don't live in faith. We, do, we live like, like this is our permanent life. And the only thing we got to get is what we can get now. But uh, 
Help us to see the end. Help us to see like you see, that this is a blip on the radar and man, our real life is yet to come. And help us to maintain our focus so that, uh, so that we can endure now, uh, that we can be all in for you now, here, and so to the Spirit. And, and then we'll reap what we've sown then. And we can trust you. Help us to, to endure suffering now faithfully uh, and, and to, to do spiritual work so that you would have complete control of us and our bodies and that you can use us faithfully. Um, please, please help us to maintain that perspective tonight and the rest of this week. Um, please use us. Thank you so much for putting up with us and being patient. And the fact that we're still here means you're, you're not done working on us. And so we're, we're grateful for that. And you haven't come back yet. So there's people, there's still time for us to share uh, your truth with people that are resisting it. Help us to do that. And just to be all in for you. We love you so much. Thanks for all that you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.